When I came here, I, w I wanted to try professional boxing, and I didn't know how, how far would I go or what would happen, like, you know. Uh, boxing is a tough sport, but I mean, it's, so the training is very hard, uh, everything about it is very hard, but the thing is, if you love it, it, go, it goes into your blood and it stays, it's like a drug, it's in, in your blood for life, you know. I want to tell you about this guy, a modest guy, a quiet guy I came across with a huge heart. You may have heard of Barry McGuigan and Steve Collins, but probably haven't heard of Sean Mannion. He wasn't what you'd call a braggadocio. He was a humble guy who could really hit. Bake has his hands at his side. Mannion tagging him, taking advantage of that. But for Sean Mannion, he must feel he has a 10-round win in the bag. Why take chances? I'm sure that's his viewpoint at this uh, juncture. They're chanting, go, Sean, go. For a couple of wild, unforgettable summers in the 80s, he owned the city of Boston. Sean Mannion scores unanimous decision, winning six rounds on all three cards. Sean is now 58. It's 22 years since he last fought. So where's Sean now, people ask me. The Rocky of Ross Mook, as the Irish called him. Sean is doing the same job he did when he arrived from Ireland. He just has this pretty amazing tale to tell that stretches all the way to Madison Square Garden. Shut up! Every day, Sean gets up at 5.30 in the morning to work construction on building sites in downtown Boston. And let me tell you, at 5.30, I mean you want to see the winters here. I guess I'd better introduce myself. My name is Anthony Cardinale, and I've been involved in the boxing business all my life. I was Sean Mannion's manager, and let me tell you, some journey. It's 5.40, still dark. Around 5.50, they'll stop for coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts near Fields Corner. Sometimes the customers recognize Sean, but they're not quite sure from where. Hello, how are you? All right. I've worked with a lot of fighters in my time. Fighters are a tough breed by nature, believe me. But of all my fighters over the years, Sean was the hardest. There's an ingrained toughness there. He had resolve. I fixed my blinker last night, Sean. Did you? I did. Oh. I took the Heavener and the River tour, took the kids down to see them. Oh, the Skadam, as you say in Irish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not bad for a yank, am I, yeah? Skadam. Skadam. Once upon a time, anyone you'd bump into around here spoke the Irish Gaelic. And Sean still teaches the American guys on the site a few words. On the sites, Sean has a reputation as a good worker, never misses a day, a stand-up guy. When a new guy arrives on the site, they point over to Sean. How are you doing? 
See that heavy-set Irish guy working the angle grinder? He spent two years sparring with marvelous Marvin Hagler. Yeah? Ali's trainer, Angelo Dundee, said he was the best boxer to take a punch he'd ever seen. Who, the guy with the angle grinder? Yeah, him. He was ranked number one in the world, and he was never knocked down in 59 professional fights. And the reply is always, wow, I better not piss him off. Okay, go get to the green line, Sean, sing the song yeah. for him. Sean, sing the song for him, Shawnee. No, no way. Go on. No, I can't. Hey, John, you can't sing it. No, I can't. Sorry, Mickey Bui will sing. The guys on the site talk about the song. Some Irish guy wrote a ballad about Sean. Sometimes after work, with a couple of drinks, they sing it. Sean would just smile in the corner. By cancer on the marmavin me, I've no idea what he's saying, but from what I take from it, I think he really likes Sean. In 1976, Rocky was the surprise cinema hit of the year. Around the time Sylvester Stallone was appearing on screens, Sean Mannion walked off a building site in Boston and to Petronelli's gym in Brockton. Myself and my friend, Paulie Creel, we went down there. And I just went out to watch Hagler's train, and he was number one contender. The Petronelli gym was basic, very basic. But there was something special happening at that time. The gym was home to marvelous Marvin Hagler, Rockin' Robbie Sims, and a world title contender, Tony Petronelli. Next thing, Tony Petronelli, he shouted out to the crowd, whoever was supposed to spar him didn't show up, or whatever he asked. was telling so possible, and uh, nobody answered for a while. Everyone looked around. The Irish guy, 17-year-old Sean Mannion, in his work clothes, put his hand up. Then I said, I... I, I, I was so poor. I said, will you go around with me? And I said, all right, but I don't have my gear. Why not, Tony Petronelli thought. Better than nothing. Sean got into the ring. A few weeks before, Petronelli had been fighting the famous Wilfredo Benitez for the world title. Now this kid. We, we had to go four rounds. I mean, we, we ended up going four rounds that night. Like, and there were tough rounds. None of us gave in. And... Sean didn't just go four rounds. They gave as good as they got. They traded like hell. Everyone in the gym looked around, astonished. Who is this kid that's gone four rounds in Petronelli? It was a great, great spell, like, you know. After the fight, he said, um, when are you coming again? I said, whatever you want me. So I, I came the following night and I had my gear on. 
But he, he told me he should go professionally, he said. Sean would go professional. It was the start of his journey towards Madison Square Garden. There's no place quite like it in the world. New York City. Tonight, Manhattan hosts a night of world championship boxing. That journey to Madison Square Garden began in a place called Rossmuck. Turning pro was a childhood ambition that started back home in Connemara. Sean was the kind of kid who couldn't pass a mirror without stopping to shadow box. Years later, TV crews would visit his hometown and ask his old trainer, Mike Flaherty, and his mom about what they remember about the kid, Sean Mannion. Well, he was very anxious to learn, you know, the football. And he was always at the goal, doing something, shadow boxing, or trying to learn as good as he could. Can you remember who brought him here in the first place, or why he came? He came on his own accord, I think. Well, he had brothers, some of the brothers with him, and the neighbors, yeah. And did he seem better than the rest now, at that stage? After, he, after a couple of months, he did. He was improving, you know. He was stylish, and he was able to pick up punches. Anything you tell him, he'd think he would, and he'd try and do it. I enjoyed it when he was little. I knew they wouldn't hurt each other. But when he went in years, I was scared they'd hurt each other. Would I watched them up over in Boston and New York, some of the last two fights he had. But now you know he's well able to look after himself, don't you? That's his problem, I guess. <laughs> I hope he is anyways. Still, I'm nervous about him. Well, and, and what about when he was training? Did you encourage him, or did you try to get him to stay at home? I told him to cut it out completely. And his father, the Lord rest him, told him the same thing. But the answer he made is that he had, they had just two hands like himself. John. John. Sure. <laughs> Translate this for us. The house that Sean leaves every morning for work is the one he first arrived to in the 1970s. It's his sister's, a big three-decker with a wooden balcony running like a belt around the middle. Yeah. You want to put more food in it? No, good. Where am I supposed to put it then? Huh? Where are we put it? Can't. This is his sister Eileen. This is his grandniece Ava. He used to fight bloody battles against names that made people tremble, like Gonzalez and Leonard, Frado and Bake. But now Sean fights a daily battle to watch reruns of his favorite TV program, The Andy Griffith Show. His nemesis, a 12-year-old kid, Ava. He's going to be watching every single night, Andy Griffin and all that, and I'm not going to be able to watch anything. But when he's out, like at the gym, that's my favorite part of the day, when I'm home and I get to watch TV. The Andy Griffith Show was canceled in 1968. The one time that he ever like let like just lets me watch the TV was like if I'm if I really want to watch something bad like, like he'll let me like I mean watch the movie the Titanic. <laughs> um he I never saw him cry before and he was actually he Yes, he was. When Jack died, he was crying. <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw him cry. And he was crying too and I was crying. So <laughs> People began to talk about this kid who just walked into a Brockton gym, a 
sparred with Tony Petronelli. I spotted Sean in Jimmy Connolly's gym in Southie when I was visiting a client. My mother's from Ireland, my, uh, all my relatives are from Ireland, and of course my brothers and sisters were born here, first generation Irish. But uh, I guess I even talk like an Irish when people tell me that up here in New York. And I was always looking for talent. That's what boxing managers do. This guy could move, could punch, lead with his right hand and bang with his left. And you could hit this kid with a tire iron and he'd still be standing there. I could see he had something, but everyone else in the gym could see it as well. He had a style that uh, I have yet to see anywhere from any other boxer since. He had the mind for it, he had the style for it, and he had the big heart. You have to have those. He was tough, extraordinary, extraordinary uh, toughness, I mean, that you wouldn't see in anybody else. And he had, was very skillful, great skill. You couldn't hurt him, and, and he, he was fearless. I didn't care who, who it was. Like, you know, I just went in there and, like, if I took a beating, I took a beating. But if I didn't, you know, it was, um, like, I was never intimidated. I was never afraid to go in the ring. And I was never afraid to take any beating if I had to, like, you know. And that, I think that helped me an awful lot, like, you know. He, I think he had, he had all the advantages. He, he, had, he had everything. And I signed him up because I thought he could go all the way. I lined up the fights, and he started knocking guys out. Bang, just flooring one poor guy after another. That's my second fight in Boston Garden. The fight only lasted about 90 seconds. I stopped the guy. I remember Sean's second fight. He emptied every bar in Fields Corner. It was green bedlam. Sean KO'd the guy in two. I fought in the Teacher Union Hall, like, you know, where that is on the Columbia Road, like, uh, Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. I fought there. We fought, I fought in the Strand Theater up in Dorchester. That one I would see coming a little more. Yeah, I fought in... Uh, Even though he's 58 now, Sean still goes to the gym. He's training a young pro from Southie. He's a tough middleweight like Sean, only tall with a tight haircut, and you got to say he looks the part. Wait for the golden gloves. I mean, I, I was told after by people I'm brain dead, but I mean, I, I probably never had a brain. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think I don't think I don't think so. I don't think I have any injuries or anything from it. Just that I miss miss boxing. Like you know, I miss the good. I mean, it's part of life. You go, you get older, and that's it. Like you can't you can't do anything about it. Like you know, so. I mean, it's training people and all that. It's it's nice, but I mean, it's nothing like like you, like going in the ring yourself, like you know. Sean is driving here, so while he does, let me tell you a story about the early stages of Sean's career. It was 1982. He was fighting at junior middleweight and making his ascent to a world title fight, and he decided to drop weight to fight a real tough Puerto Rican kid called Hector Popo Figueroa from Hartford, Connecticut. Sean believed he could make 147 pounds to fight Figueroa and held that weight throughout training, but on the day of the weigh-in, 
He got on the scale and he was seven pounds over. It looked like that was going to be the end of the night, but I asked Sean if he could lose the weight. He said, yeah, I can do it. We had about three hours, so Sean went back to the hotel. He ran a steaming hot shower and started jumping rope in the closed bathroom. They did that for an hour and a half straight, wearing a rubber suit. He then came back to the arena, got on the scales, and he was still three pounds over. So with only an hour and a half or so left, Sean said he still wanted to try, put the rubber suit back on, and started running up and down the steps of the arena. About 30 minutes later, he weighed in again and was over by one pound. At the scales, we asked Figueroa and his people to waive the pound, but they refused. With a fight about to occur and not having any options left, the boxing commissioner came over and said we should try giving him a really hard rub down using alcohol. So Sean went into the dressing room and his seconds worked on him for the next 30 minutes. When he came out, he was red, blotchy, dehydrated, and stark naked. We were only about a half hour before the main event, and the scales had to be put close to where the entrance was because of the flatness of the floor there. And people were walking by, coming into the arena to watch the main event, and there's Sean on the scales, naked. Everybody crowded around, and Figueroa was right next to Sean, watching the scale, wanting to see if the Galway man had shifted the pound. And Sean made the weight exactly. And when he knew he made it, he turned to Figueroa and right in his face said, now you fucker, I'm going to make you pay for every fucking pound. It was truly one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Sean could have knocked him out early, but he gave him what I call a measured beating to within an inch of his life for 10 rounds after spending his body like that to make the weight. No one had ever seen anything like it. If you're ever going to fall in love with Sean Mannion, that was the night. Sean was beginning to make a name for himself. His reputation gained him an edge. There were lots of stories that he was a big drinker, and a lot of guys didn't take him seriously. They wouldn't take the fight if they knew I was going to win, but they always thought I was, like, um, that, I was, uh, that I wasn't training and I wasn't doing anything, like, you know? But, uh, I mean, I, I was always training. I was always in the gym, always training. But they didn't know that. And my manager put out the words, oh, he's never training, he's always drinking. And I said, okay, do whatever you want. But <laughs> they almost found out like him the hard way. Do you think he should have put more work in in his earlier years? Well, I think all fighters should, but uh, it's a tough, very, very difficult game. And, and uh, with all the distractions around today, especially in the United States, who uh, wants to spend three or four hours per day in a gymnasium? 
there's all kinds of things out there. They're not all good, and of course, they're not all bad either. But to uh, dedicate yourself, it takes a little something extra. Rocky Frado was one of those people, a ranked fighter from upstate New York who had a big following and was being carefully worked into a title fight. He had heard all the stories about Sean, thought it'd be an easy payday for him. I fought a guy, Rocky Frato, I only had a week's notice. And uh, he was the, United, the North American Boxing Federation champion, and he was the United States champion, by, according to Ring Magazine. It was all set up as a showcase for Rocky Frato. The TV deal with ESPN, star billing, against a tough opponent that would showcase his skills. Only a different Rocky would win. I think that hit him in the neck. Rocky Frato, our son, gagging. That hit him in the neck. Just under the chin, that drive by Sean Bannon. It was a penetrating drive. And young fighters, that's why you keep your chin down. And that is it. They're on their feet here at the Sands Hotel. Sean Bannon and Rocky Frato, a great battle, hugging each other. How could you not stand? That was just terrific. And referee Zach Clayton scoring at eight, one, and one. And the winner, Sean Mania. Mania. So there you have it. Sean Mannion winning by unanimous decision. In one ESPN fight, Sean always liked to hear Gaelic in the corner, and that's why his brother would be in the corner all the time, and they would speak Gaelic. And uh, the uh, announcers had no idea they, what they were saying and, 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 and remarked, well, that's the heaviest Irish brogue we've ever heard. I didn't realize they were, they were actually speaking a different language. People began then to share Sean's dream, an Irish guy off the boat with a chance to fight for the title. From Connemara, certainly from Galway, and from all parts of Ireland, but the, for Irish speakers in particular, yeah, I mean, to have one of our own uh, competing for, for a world title, I mean, it was, it was something unique, something unheard of. It was absolutely, we were, we were thrilled course. I can't say Connemara Marvin Dornal Echton Hui. Watch a Faravin Martin Thor and Tons Buahe Martini. After Dornal Lian Damantan is Jean Mayer Tracht. She shall no man in Astros Mokus as all managers do, you need to take risks in order to get a title fight. I knew there was a tough Korean guy named Inchul Bake who wanted to fight in America to generate publicity. He had built up a record that sent most people running for cover. He had 26 fights and 26 knockouts. He was career's answer to Mike Tyson, and he was the number one contender. 1983, I fought another guy that I was supposed to lose to. 
he was the number one junior middleweight in the world. And he was 26-0 with 26 knockouts. We took a gamble. Well, the fight was in Atlantic City, after all. I remember Sean's old sparring partner, Marty Conroy, saying the rosary down in the back of the hall. This guy, you never know, okay? He's more tired than you are, okay? All right? The guy probably got jet lag. You understand? All right? Okay? Understand now, women. Hold it. Hold on. That decision by Cappuccino in the eighth to take the full round away from Bake should not tarnish the work of Sean Mannion. He has been very crafty tonight here against the Korean. He's fought very well. This is the fight of his life. He told me today this means everything to me in boxing uh, because I can get a title shot, and uh, he has fought that way tonight. He's been clever, and he's fought with uh, really a lot of determination. Halfway through the next to last round. He took some shots from Bake, especially to the body early in the fight, withstood that pressure, and then simply outboxed him. And I think uh, we could safely climb out onto the limb of controversy and predict a decision here for Mannion. I was only trying hard for him as well, like, you know, and I, I beat him and I beat him pretty easily, like, you know, in, in, in New Jersey. And after that fight, I think people started taking me more seriously than ever, like, you know. Sean was now the number two contender in the world. We were heading to New York for a world title fight. Sean had one tune-up before his world title fight. In the middle of this so-called tune-up fight, the lights went out in the Cape Cod Coliseum with a few rounds to go. Turned out, Sean was boxing with a broken rib and a punctured lung. Some thought he was going to lose. There's all kinds of rumors about what happened. Legend has it that Vince McMahon Jr. flipped the switch. Others say a miraculous storm knocked the power out. I remember someone else saying someone from Connemara found the fuse box. Either way, the power came back. Sean regained his breath, battled on, and won the decision. It still remains a controversial topic in the Mannion house. I don't know. I think myself, actually, there was there was thunder in the air or something like that. that like, myself, I don't know. People say that... On this night you had... Uh, collapsed long, long. and uh, broken ribs. And they said that that was a good thing that the lights went out. It was not, like, and, and it was. was. Well, you fight after. Yeah, I won the fight. There's one round left. Uh-huh. And one round left. Oh, that's all. And, and then and I, 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 was, I was in pain. I was in pain, and, and when, I, when, I, when, I, when I stopped the light, it would be over eat faster. I don't have a hearing aid. But it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't anybody that pulled the plug. Like they were saying that somebody they from Galway. That somebody did that. Nobody from somebody from Galway hardly knew where the Coliseum was. Never mind the, the plug. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> When Tony Carnelli was thinking it was um, Vince McMahon, that uh, the promoter, the, uh, when, uh, I don't know, but whoever done it done, done damage to me because it was I had to wait for five minutes to get the lights on or yeah, whatever. You got your breath. I, you got I, I get my breath. Are you kidding me? I, I was in pain. 
Did you see the fight? Did you see the the final bell? I thought you were losing before the lights went out. No, uh, I didn't lose the fight. You didn't, but I thought that break gave you a. It wasn't the it was the last round. It was it gave me more five more minutes to to, to, to in pain. That's one fight I wouldn't like to go through again. I really don't care about his opponents. I care about Sean Mannion, and he's putting the extra, just a little bit more than extra right now. And we're going to win it, and we're very confident. And I don't care what Mr. McCollum is doing. He may have to bring a gun into the ring to beat Sean Mannion. Sean would fight in Madison Square Garden for the title against Mike McCollum. There are two things I remember about the buildup. Sean always fought with the name Ross Mook emblazoned on his belt. And even though someone offered him, if I recall right, 15 or 20,000 to put the name of a sports distributor on there, Sean refused. Even though I asked him, we can put Ross Mook on the back and put Everlast on the front, but he, uh, he didn't want to hear it. He went up to 25,000. And I said, no, because I, said, I have a company on already, I said. And what company is that? I said, Ross Mook. And what did they produce? He said, a human beings. It, it was the kind of thing that you would expect would have been you know, accepted without question, but I understood his loyalty and particularly uh, how close he was to his hometown, and, and he wouldn't have it any other way. The arena was jammed with Irish fans and even put on extra trains from Boston. And across the street from Madison Square Garden on 7th Avenue, Sean Mannion checks in to the hotel, the New York Penta Hotel, and his thoughts must go back to all the men who have fought before him. The recent ones like Charlie Nash, who fought for a world title, for Johnny Caldwell, for Rinty Monaghan. The list goes right back for years. And here we are just a week after Barry McGuigan had his great triumph, and now we may be even going further for a world title for Sean Manning. I know I'm going to be fighting in front of maybe 20,000 people. It's the first time ever I've been in with such a big crowd. And um, the, the most thing I'm nervous about is uh, it's going to be shown live in Ireland, the first time ever I'd be seen boxing as a professional. And I'm glad, and I, I'm very glad that RTE came over here to fight the fighters, to give, to give people in Ireland a chance to see me fight. Sean, what's the feeling? Madison Square Garden, it must be a magical feeling. Yeah, the feeling is very good, you know, the fighting in the same arena is great, like, um, great fighters like Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser and Joe Lewis fought in. So, um, um, I'm very happy fighting here and, um, but um, <clears throat> I've got a lot of friends here in New York, but uh, like fighting here in the garden is something else. And any special message now for at home? Ask Gaelga. Well, I come to the Everywhere you go, people were talking about it. There was a lot of Irish around here at the time. Not anymore.
is the number two contender, Sean Mannion. Originally from Ireland, now out of Boston, he too is desperate for the title. They brought out two guys from Ireland without even asking me uh, to sing the national anthem, and uh, they, they were up in the room. See how they said they were singing it in English. I said uh, I wanted to sing in Irish, and uh, I, we don't know what you know. So I know somebody has done that. Said the question came up about singing the national anthem, and Sean insisted that the Irish be sung, but not only sung, be sung in Gaelic. And he insisted on it or said he wouldn't get in the ring. So we had to kind of scramble to find someone that could do that. So I know somebody has done that, like my sister. But I think, I think she was more nervous about, about, about me fighting than she was herself singing the national anthem. She was, she is, well, she was a good singer. There was only two of us, the carols anyways, that could sing. And the rest of us... <laughs> Stop, Seamus. The rest of us weren't that good. And I'm the best. <laughs> but, um, she did a great job, really. She did a good job. Seamus, come on. And the referee from New York is Tony Perez. I know that Jack, Jack Dempsey once said, the loneliest place in the world, he said, is inside the ring when the bell rings. And uh, I, I didn't really know exactly what he meant by it until the McCollum fight. And that's when I, like, that's when I thought, I thought of that, like, you know, and, um, like, the people of Ireland weren't putting pressure on me, like you know, but I put it on myself, like you know. I, I mean, I, I had, I pretended to have everything out of my head that this was only going to box, but I mean, I, I still, I still had in the back of my head that, uh, like, it's for Ireland, and I want to win the title for Ireland, and I was putting too much pressure on myself, like you know. And Sean walked into the ring. The place went wild. Crowd support here in favor of Mannion. And you can hear them chanting. Well, in order for Mannion to win or to be effective, though, he needs to get inside. He has to make a fight out of this, make a brawl out of this fight. He can't stand back and try to box a guy of the height of Mike McCullough. I could hear Sugar Ray saying that Sean needed to turn it into a brawl. And when it did, this Sean Bond guy led thousands of Irish like a conductor. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but man, was he getting excited. Sean would get back to the corner. I'd look at his eye, and it was real puffy, but the cut was holding. And in 
Sean Mannion's corner. They were saying, you're starting to feel good, aren't you? And Mannion agreed that he did. So let's see what happens now in round seven. Really? That's what he said. But in round nine, after taking some more punishment, Sean shook McCallum up with a punch he pulled up from his bootlaces. The Jamaican staggered. Sugar Ray stuttered. Sean Bond struggled to get the words out. By the final round, Sean obviously needed a knockout, but I was just happy to see him finish on his feet. If pictures are a thousand words, you only have to look at Sean Mannion on one side of the ring and Mike McCallum on the other to know who won and who lost this fight. I spent most of my time in the bathroom that night, and uh, I don't know why I was I was nervous, but. Um, and when I saw him after the fight, it was like, <laughs> I started crying. It was so, uh, he looked so bad. But he he really didn't get that much of a beating, but it just looked bad to us. Uh, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I was heartbroken. Like, uh, I was kind of, I was embarrassed. I was heartbroken for losing... Not for losing, but just for losing the shot that we that uh, we had, like to get a world title for Ireland. Like you know, that's that's what I was heartbroken about. Then I went out, there's a barroom down the street, from not too far from Madison Square Garden, and it was owned by a guy from Rossmock. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go down there. You know, if I can leave you with one picture of Sean Mannion, a story that sums up the guy, the contradictions, the personality, it's probably what happened directly after that title fight. He had lost. He sat in the dressing room, then he put his clothes on and went for a drink. Manhattan that night was manic. There were Irish everywhere for the fight. There was a line outside the Irish bar near the hotel, and everyone in that line was there because of Sean. But he took his place at the very back of that line, and he just stood there waiting. The bouncer at the door noticed him. Jesus, Sean, what are you doing? Get in here. Next thing, you know, oh, come on, you got to come in. Like, you know, they brought me in. And, uh, of course, when I went in there, all the lads were in there, and the people from home were in there. And they started shouting like I, like I had won the title, like, you know? And I was, I was really embarrassed. But... That's what comes to mind when I think about Sean Mannion. A guy who just fought for a world title in Madison Square Garden. Then, amid all the crowds, he just took his place quietly at the back of the line. Of course, he didn't come home for the week after the fight. No, you did not. 
It was a couple days. Yes, because she would. I had such a really hard time getting her to go to bed. I want to see Uncle John. I want to see Uncle John. It wasn't a week. Well, Uncle John finally came home and they were sleeping. And I said to him, don't wake them. He said, I already did. <coughs> and Anya got um, woke up and he was going over to Patrick. And she said to Patrick, don't talk to him. He lost the fight. <laughs> That's the reason she wanted to stay up. <laughs> uh, I got my back. 